We are now in uh, chapters uh, 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, and if you joined us last Lord's Day, you remember that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is uh, thrilled to get a response that the Corinthians have chosen to repent. Uh, He wrote a firm letter. Uh, They have repented, and part of the evidence he wants to see of that repentance is them to continue to make and collect the offering for the church in Jerusalem that is struggling financially. Uh, and uh, so he is encouraging them to do that. These two chapters are pro- uh, the, pro- the, most, uh, the longest chapters in Scripture devoted to the idea of generosity. Uh, and in our text today, we're going to see the, uh, a principle that's connected to generosity, and that is Christian integrity. Of all organizations on planet Earth, the organization that needs to have the greatest integrity is the Church of Jesus Christ. And a quick study of church history would show that the church has not always been trustworthy with the resources of the people of God. So that's really what we want to emphasize today. What does it mean to be a Christian of integrity? And when I think about this particular text, what kept coming to mind was Paul's emphasis on the integrity of church officers. And listen now to Titus chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, as he describes the integrity of a church officer. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, that's argumentative, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. That overarching principle of being above reproach uh, of, of, of people not being able to, they might throw accusations to, to you and at you and about you and behind you, but they don't stick. Uh, because the way you live your life in Christian integrity is so pronounced that people uh, would not question you, they would question those who are accusing you of certain things. And the, the passage today is of special importance because Paul is having to combat people who've accused him of, uh, of greed. Of, uh, of being in the ministry just for the gain and of trying to build people out of their funds, which is actually probably what the false teachers were doing here. So he mentions this idea of integrity by giving us three examples of church officers who were Christians of integrity. So today, my desire is that we can look at these three examples that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 16 through 24, and that we would learn the principle of integrity as we embrace the principle of Christian generosity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray that God would transform us in the image of his son as we look at this text today. God, in faith, we look to you. We thank you, God, that we can have confidence, God, that your word does not return void. And Lord, that that the saving and sanctifying properties uh, of the word of God associated with the movement of the Holy Spirit is enough to change the movement of nations. The God who created the universe is the God who gave us this word. So help us to pay careful attention. Help us to learn from these faithful brothers of past, of 2,000 years ago. And help us to be examples to others. And if there be any area of, of mispropriety, of a lack of integrity in our own hearts, where we fail in those qualifications uh, just mentioned in Titus, uh, help us to repent and to be men after your own heart and living lives that that are truly lives that could be put under a microscope and that would pass the test. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Please do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at 16 through 24. You might find your home group's helps insert of benefit. We've bro- I'm breaking this down into four different uh, sections here. You see the Christian integrity of Titus in verses 16 through 17, the Christian integrity of the famous brother in verses 18 through 21, the Christian integrity of the faithful brother in verse 22, and then a summary response to Christian integrity at the end there, verses 23 through 24. So first of all, we look at the Christian integrity of our old friend Titus, uh, verses 16 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord that comes to us from 2 Corinthians in chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. Uh, God says, and Paul writes, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf and in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, has gone to you of his own Accord. So we kind of reintroduce to this person of Titus here. Titus was responsible for going and, uh, and challenging the Corinthians to, uh, to repent. And he's now given Paul this wonderful word of what's going on here. So uh, we're kind of reintroduced to Titus. And Titus is one of these people that's just proven faithful for years and years and years. If you were to do a research on the name Titus in the New Testament, you'll find that Titus and Paul go all the way back to the Council of Jerusalem in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians being uh, probably the first uh, epistle that Paul actually wrote. And it was Titus who was, uh, who, who was kind of the uh, sort of on display as look what God can do with a Greek. <laughs> you know, here's Titus. Now, you're out there trying to make all these rules and regulations, and you're about to kill Christianity with all this Law of Moses stuff heaped on top of grace. And let me show you what grace can do. Here's a Greek who's converted to Christianity. And Titus was willing to to be on display for that purpose. So he has proven to be faithful. I'll tell you one thing. You think about the standards of the Apostle Paul. If Paul considers you faithful, you are faithful. You are faithful. So what a compliment is and, and that, that he is being used, of course, by God and by the Apostle Paul. But it's significant, too, that, that uh, Titus was a Greek. Remember what's happening is that the, the, wealthy, well, the wealthier churches of Macedonia and Greece are, are, are pulling together collection, uh, and they're going to bring that money, and they're going to take it to Jerusalem. Now, Corinth actually was a wealthy church. Macedonia actually was pretty poor. And they were, but they were an example to the Corinthians. But Corinth was a pretty well-to-do city, a port city, a newer city. There's a lot of new money there and that kind of thing. And, uh, and they're sending this money to Jerusalem. Well, Paul is a Jew. And there's probably accusations, oh, look at Paul. He just wants to go, you know, curry favor with the Jews and this kind of thing. So he, he, he's brilliant. He brings in a Greek. And Greek is not going uh, as a Greek, he is not going to be accused of just showing favor to the Jews and that sort of thing. It's kind of like if you remember back in Acts chapter six, there was a problem with the Hellenistic, the Greek Jews being overlooked in the serving of food and the widows there. And the church gathered together and they did something brilliant. They appointed that's probably the first appointment of uh, of deacons in the church. They appointed seven men, and every one of the seven men had Greek names. They were Hellenistic Jews. And because they wanted to be above reproach, you had the, 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 it was the, 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 the Greek Jews that were making the complaint, so they appointed Greek Jews to make sure everything was fixed. It's a brilliant move, brilliant move, so they could be above reproach. Well, Titus is the same way. He is, he is a Greek, so he is in there with the Apostle Paul, with Jew, and, uh, and he is seeking to be able to raise these funds. But I love how, how Paul is always giving credit to God. 
You know, I just don't think we can overdo that here at this church. You know, we, we very often, we introduce a hymn, we'll say, sing to the glory of God, and, and we really try to emphasize that as much as possible. Sola Deo Gloria is probably the summary statement of the five solas of the Reformation that we seek to say here. But notice here, but thanks be to God. He's always given credit to God uh, for the evidences of a changed heart. He says he puts the same earnestness uh, uh, in the heart of Titus. So Titus has got the same kind of zeal for this ministry as does Paul. And uh, remember, Paul went back last week. If you, look, you were here Sunday, remember the example that Paul was making to the Corinthians. You need to share resources. This is an idea This is old as the manna in the wilderness. When the people went out and they collected manna, some people couldn't collect as much. Some people did, and they shared. They pulled their resources together so that no one went hungry. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had uh, no lack. You know, so there's, a, there's this idea of coming together, which Titus is all about. Now, and I need to make this point, too. Some people will point to maybe that statement, the sharing that went on during the, the church in Jerusalem, and they would say that Christianity invented communism, Christianity invented socialism, that sort of thing. Well, there's a big difference is no one forced them to give. And that's why Paul is making this appeal. He does not require, he even said that, if you remember last week, he's not requiring them to do this. He's appealing to their generosity. There's a big difference between having something taken from you and given to somebody else and you voluntarily giving it to someone else, right? When we took up the collection for the Gideons earlier, there was no Gideon in the back of the room with a gun. You freely gave to the Gideons. And that seems like a small, that, is a, that makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in the world. And over the generations after generations, many, many Christians have come close to even impoverishing themselves in order to be able to help others. So there's no comparison here to socialism and, and, uh, and, or communism. There is just this general appeal, this general love, because you're helping members of your own family. And that's what family's for. He said he was very earnest here. He's got the same uh, vision uh, towards wanting to help. So he got a Greek who wants to help the Jews. I mean, I think about this. I think this is one reason why so many uh, American Christians are zealous to, uh, for Israel, you know, and they pray for Israel and that kind of thing. There's a certain loyalty and a, an affirmation that many Christians have towards Israel because Israel gave, you know, was the foundation of, of Christianity, the, the, the Old Testament scriptures. And, and Titus recognizes that, and he wants to be able to help them. And he says he's gone for his own accord. Again, he wasn't forced to do that. He willingly, enthusiastically went uh, in order to be able to, uh, to bring this aid to the churches of Judea. You know, we, we looked at that scripture last week that God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, Paul will say that uh, in, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He also loves a cheerful fundraiser. He loves a fundraiser who's going to trust the Lord for the results and not manipulate and not badger people to be able to, uh, to give. And I think that's what... Uh, Paul is doing. Now, notice something else, too, that kind of speaks to Paul's integrity. He's very careful. He distanced himself somewhat from the fundraising here. He is sending Titus. He's going to mention these other three. He is trying to encourage them. He's, he is showing his endorsement of them, but he distanced himself uh, somewhat uh, from, uh, from, from the fundraising, so he can't be accused of embezzlement or, or misappropriation funds or anything like that. That's just a good idea. And we have a number of people here going into the ministry uh, you just need to distance yourself from the funds. We'll have people sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll want to buy a book or they'll forget to put their tithe check in it and they'll try to hand me cash on the way out of the door and I'm like, no, you know, I don't touch cash and I try to find a, 
an officer on occasion. I've had to take it, but I'll get them to slide it under Sarah's door. Or I'll give it to an officer or something like that. I just don't want the accusation, you know, or I don't want to accidentally stake it, take it and stick it in my pocket. And then, you know, these days I'd be like, where'd that money come from? Thank you, you know. <laughs> and uh, wow, uh, you know, so it's just, a, it's just a good principle for pastors to distance themselves. I remember a, a, a story a long time ago when Billy Graham started his crusade but before he had staff and everything. They passed the plate around, and he would just take the money, stick it in his pocket, and then he'd go out and buy dinner and pu- pull the money out of his pocket. And uh, some well-knowing Christian businessmen said, you know, that's probably not the best practice. Let's work on that. Let's get you a system. Uh, because you just don't want anybody to accuse anybody of misappropriation of funds. So the, the Christian who is generous, who is a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, wants accountability. They want accountability. When we have, a, we have our annual budget meeting, the treasurer's up here talking about tithing, talking about how we spend the money, not, money, uh, not me. So it's just a good idea uh, for us to maintain this. And we have this principle here with Paul putting forward Titus. And then we see the Christian integrity of the, uh, the, the unknown famous brother in verses 18 through 21. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So here's from one who's going to come along with Titus, uh, and it says his, he's basically his, the his fame has gone out through all the churches here. But Paul doesn't mention his name. We would love to know who this is. Uh, there's been speculation. Probably the most popular candidate is Luke, but Barnabas has con- been considered Silas, Timothy, Tychicus, and others uh, throughout history. Uh, but what matters is he's famous for what? The things of the gospel. He's famous for the things of the gospel. You know, I'm looking out at you, and there's some very skilled people. There are some very prominent people here. There's some, some honor students here or anything. But of all the things that we would want to be known for, to be known, to be famous for the things of the gospel, that's the heart of a Christian, to be famous for the things of the gospel and to use whatever talents, gifts, blessings the Lord has given us to draw attention to the glory of God and to the, to the gospel. He's been appointed by the churches, uh, so Paul did not handpick this guy. Uh, he's not part of the gang that Paul's going to get so they can get all the Corinthian money, this sort of thing. He's been appointed here by the churches. So the churches of Macedonia have appointed him uh, to be able to be the one that receives this gift. And let me just do a little commercial interruption here for Presbyterianism. There's, uh, people think church government doesn't matter. Church government does matter. Uh, there's three forms of, of church government. Uh, there, there, there's basically an Episcopal form of government head, headed up by bishops. You would see that in the Catholic Church, the Bishop Church, uh, the, uh, the Episcopal Church, uh, and the Methodist Church. Then there's a congregational government. You tend to see that in the Baptist churches. Our church used to be a congregational. We were, we were running solo. We were an independent church until we came into the Presbyterian fold. And then you have Presbyterian government, okay? Presbyterian means old man-led, no offense to the elders here, but that's what it means. Old man led, okay? And, and, and it's just thoroughly biblical. I just read to you Titus, Timothy chapter 3, the principles of elders running Israel. It's just biblical. That's what's in the Bible. Elders and deacons, those two offices. 
So, and it's biblical for a good reason. There is built into the Presbyterian system a system of accountability. Our session is going to meet in a couple of weeks. I am one of five elders in that room. And it really helps beat down that whole prima donna thing. It can happen to a lot of pastors. I was reading one commentator, and they said, you know, if, if a pastor is a long-term pastor, if they've been with a church for 15 to 20 years, they can really, what can happen is the congregation can start to idolize the pastor. I thought that especially funny. Uh, but I've been here for 15 years, and what I do is to keep you all from idolizing me, for instance, is I'll, I'll get tongue-tied, I'll get rabbit-trailed, um, I forget your children's names, I forget my children's names, those sort of things to keep you from idolizing me. Uh, but that does happen. I mean, this is the danger of celebrity pastors. How many people do we know that we have listened to that are known out on the streets that have fallen because they've lacked this accountability? So that's the beauty of a Presbyterian form of government. And, and I think that's what you see, Paul, here. Is these people were appointed. They were appointed uh, after they had proven themselves, which he kind of goes on to say that, uh, which was administered for us for the glory of the Lord himself. So here he is again, pushing out that idea of the, the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. And to show your readiness. And that's, there's a readiness here. They're ready to give. They're ready to be generous. They're ready to help out. They want this accountability. They want to be able to have an opportunity to give. This is really what Paul is trying to emphasize here. You know, you, you, we, we often, uh, we're so afraid sometimes in, in the evangelical church uh, to, to overemphasize good works because we're afraid that people are going to think you get to work heaven by being good. But that fear causes us to underrepresent good works at times. And I think you get a good balance here. If we bring James into the argument, James chapter 2 says this, What use is this, my brethren, if someone says... He has faith but has no good works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is about clothing and needy of daily food, see, he's talking about charity here, right? And one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Very pious, isn't it? Go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? That's a good question, right? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe, and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You know, I was a waiter when I was uh, at Clemson, and uh, tips, you, what, I think we made $2.05 an hour, so we were very dependent upon tips. And every now and then, you'd get one of these be filled and be warm, kind of uh, Christians that leaves this track. You ever seen this that looks like a dollar bill? And, they, and, it's, and you open it up and it says, here's your tip, close with Jesus Christ. You know, and you're thinking, what a scoundrel. He stiffs you and then makes it like it's a religious duty to do so. I hope none of y'all have done that, <laughs> okay? This is the last thing you want to do, but it's, we do this sometimes, right? We do this sometimes. So Christian integrity would actually demand that we be a generous people, a giving people that we look actively for the need of others. And, you know, we're a prideful people. We don't like to express our needs sometimes. But you need to be humble and be able to do that. It says, taking precaution that so no, so no one will discredit us. Again, he's, his goal is to be above reproach in the administration of this generous gift. So there's a credibility for the purpose of the donations. There's also a credibility in the collection process. 
There's credibility in the collection process. And you see this with this fellow believer, he, I mean, this, uh, this famous believer, this famous in the gospel that we don't know his name. He's a true believer. He had a church-wide reputation for being faithful. He was above reproach. His peers respected him enough to appoint him to the task. He's not ambitious for himself but for the gospel, and he embraces accountability. Anybody who doesn't embrace accountability, who doesn't want you to look at the books, who, 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 who seems to be uh, uh, nervous about that kind of thing, you need to be careful of. You need to be very careful of. Again, it's one of these things. I guess it's sort of like being a lawyer. You know, you, you, you feel like you're on the defensive a little bit because there's good lawyers and there's bad lawyers. Well, you know, there's good pastors and bad pastors. And bad pastors almost always have their hand in the collection plate. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. So uh, one of the things we do when, when we take up our offering, that offering will go back, we'll, we'll go back two, two men will go back and count that offering, two men. Now, I would trust any one of these officers, anyone, I would trust any one of you. And we could probably get away with one man. And sometimes we're short-staffed on volunteers and that kind of thing. But there's an accountability measure built in when you have two people counting the money, coming up with the same figures, and then leaving that figure, which is then verified uh, by the church secretary the next day. If that, that's what you want. You want that accountability measure, and this is what Paul is trying to emphasize that he is doing here. Um, but he noticed this. I love this, uh, this principle. There's an overall principle here, not just in regard to money, but with everything. He says, we have regard for what is honorable. Okay? So in other words, the, those things that people deem honorable, we're going to respect. Sometimes we think ourselves kind of above some of these things, and you've got to be careful with that. And, and let me go up, you know, one of the things, uh, a couple of years ago when the cities were burning and there were all these race riots and racism got to be this big deal and they were pulling down statues and all that kind of stuff, our church preached on the passage that the church was going to preach. Okay? Every now and then we would have illustrations perhaps about some of those things. Uh, but there is, a, there, there is a lesson to be learned with that. And I think a lot of us got so fed up with people accusing everybody of racism and everybody's a racist and we got to uh, make reparations and all that kind of stuff. It got kind of tiring, and yet, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's really important for you to put yourself in somebody else's position, and for you just, instead of you just assume this would not be a racist act or that, or that people are going to understand where you're coming from, to actually get to know people and know why they might be struggling with a particular thing. I remember, I mean, and, and, and just full disclosure, I grew up in the 1960s. I grew up, I'm probably the last of the generation of Southerners. And we grew up loving the Confederate flag. We just did. My parents weren't racist. I never knew anybody in the Ku Klux Klan. It just was not not an issue. Uh, we, all, we, th- th- we knew members of the black community. We love people in the black community. It was just a non-issue. But that Confederate flag, we, we love history. Uh, we had ancestors who were around during that time and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so it, it always bothered me that the rednecks and the criminal bikers stole that symbol and turned it into a symbol of hatred. That's always bothered me. And yet, I remember watching that movie, Selma. Have y'all seen that? It's a good movie. It's a good movie for you to help to get in, in somebody else's picture, uh, someone else's shoes. And I remember in that movie, they show black and white footage of the original Selma uh, uh, Civil Rights March where a number of civil rights activists got hurt. And it showed black and white footage of people fly, holding little Confederate flags to taunt the black people who were in the, in the march. And I thought, you know... I grew up loving that flag, but I am not going to fly that flag. Those people really did turn it into a symbol of racism. And I hate that, but that is a reality. 
So I am not willing to, to dishonor somebody. If they see that flag and they think it's racist, then I'm just going to do without that flag. I mean, that's just one little example, but we all kind of need to get into other people's shoes and understand we need to find out what's honorable amongst different people because different people have different things that are dishonorable. And, that, and we're not going to do that in this kind of shallow way that we see in our culture where we're apologizing about everything. But I do think sometimes we do need to bend a little bit and understand this principle here. And this is what Paul is trying to do. He is trying to make sure that in the raising of this money that everybody is respected, that there's no question about the integrity of the process, and that they're on board. They're not being manipulated to give uh, and that sort of thing. The other thing is, is he wants this, this to be true charity, not just charity to ease your conscience. Um, I use this as an example in, in a chapel at uh, Anderson University this week, but uh, as many of you know, we have a son who's in Ukraine right now, and he is uh, working to try to help get uh, medicines to people who are, uh, uh, who are surrounded uh, and uh, trying to help people with chemotherapy patients and uh, insulin and that kind of thing, trying to help get other kind of supplies in. Uh, we had an opportunity to video conference with him recently, and uh, he had made a comment that a number of people have come into Ukraine, and the Ukrainian army is, it, it wants people who've got combat experience and can bring their own kit and who are ready to actually do some fighting. The problem is, is because of the fervor of the moment, the excitement of what's going on and on the news, you get a lot of people who are not combat experienced, not ready, don't bring their own kit, coming, and they're actually kind of gumming up the works a little bit. And I was kind of picturing these people, and I, I, I was kind of asking them, I said, it, it sounds like you got a bunch of uh, Dorito-chomping gamers who are showing up wanting to get in the battle with the Ruskies. And he said, he says, he says, yeah, they show up, and the problem is they take the hotel rooms, they take the food, they take a place on the train that's really needed with, for people who are real refugees and people who really are ready to fight. And they have a term for these folks, these non-combat-ready people who say they want to fight. They call them gravy seals. <laughs> that's not real charity. They haven't thought through what do they really need here. Now, there are people who are ready, bringing their own kit, and they're ready to do combat, and they're actually providing a considerable amount of service to the Ukrainian army right now. Those people are useful, but the other folks are gumming up the work. It's the same thing with Christian charity. People give stuff that's really no good to anybody, but they pat themselves on the back for how, how charitable they are and that kind of thing. So you've got to search your heart on these things. He says here that we're not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. So Paul is not a men pleaser, but he is a man respecter. Paul, even when he takes this gift to Jerusalem, he even goes to the point of taking a vow, for instance, which would not be something that a New Testament would require, but he's trying to, not, to be a respecter to the, the sensitivities of the Jews here. But the whole point is, is he is laying all this out here before the Corinthians, and he's doing it because if this is so important. There's, there's an element here where every Christian ought to, ought to not to trust themselves completely either. You know, we ought to be careful. Given the right situation, the right whatever we might be going through, the bad mood, the depression, financial uh, struggles or whatever, we, we want to be accountable because if we don't quite 100% trust ourselves either. That's healthy, actually. John Calvin said this, There is nothing that so leaves a man open to sinister insinuation as the management of public funds. Thus, the higher the position we occupy, the greater our need to... Uh, imitate carefully Paul's uh, circumspection and modesty. I mean, Paul was an apostle. He could have demanded this, but he took, the, he took the higher ground. 
So one of the things that we need to do is make sure that we have the kind of integrity that we see here in this brother. Then we see this third one here, the Christian integrity of the faithful brother in verse 22. We have sent him with our brother, whom we have also tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence uh, in you. So we've sent this third member here. He's joining this other faithful brother and Titus here. And uh, he calls them our brothers. a real familiar, uh, familiar term here that Paul uses here. Uh, and they've tested him. I love that. They have proven that he's been faithful. If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful also in much. So it's a good idea for the church to make sure that people are faithful in the very little things before they are given responsibility to be faithful also in much. You see this in 1 Timothy uh, 3.10 where Paul's talking about the uh, appointment of deacons. He says, these men must be first tested, then have them serve as deacons if they are uh, beyond reproach. So you give some smaller responsibilities. Maybe, I don't know what our church might be, maybe greeting uh, some other responsibility. Or do people show up at a church cleanup day? Do they bring food uh, to a fellowship meal? Are they involved? That kind of thing. One of the things that occurred, we had such a wonderful Sunday last Sunday, didn't we? We had all these new members joining, and it was so wonderful as I was uh, going through the line of the, of the new members who were joined up front. I thought every one of them are already involved with the home group. Before they even became members, they're all going to a home group. They're all inside of a smaller part of the community of the church where they're, where they're, they're giving prayer requests and they're, they're making themselves accountable to other people. They're providing foods. They're showing hospitality and that sort of thing. That's what you look for. You want to be the kind of person that even if you don't feel like the calling's there and you, you may turn down the calling, that, 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 that people would ask you to consider being an officer because they've seen your, your faithfulness in, in the past here. So you got this, uh, he's got the zeal, but even now more diligent because of his great confidence in you. This third brother is also very, very excited about what's going on here uh, and, and that he's moving forward to the Corinthians. Let me make this point, too. Uh, these men are, I mean, the, uh, these men also, some of them were actually chosen to go to Jerusalem with the gift. You know, so they're going to travel across the Mediterranean world to be able to present this gift and go actually see uh, uh, Jerusalem and that kind of thing. Some of them won't. But this is a pretty high honor. So I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out very high, uh, very mature Christians who have a calling for being a church officer. But the fact is, is much of the work we do doesn't really require a calling. It doesn't require super-duper maturity. There's just certain things that have to be done to make a church function. Uh, and, for instance, uh, we need nursery workers. We need faithful people who are going to be members of the church who will be willing to go through some training on child safety and be nursery workers. There's times we just need people to help rake pine straw. My, before most of y'all got here, we had a 13-year-old out raking pine straw this morning because the wind blew it all over the sidewalk, you know? That, that, that man's a deacon one day, you know? Uh, I, and, and the reason why I bring this up is there, sometimes, again, it's sort of like this warm and be filled, my child. Uh, we can take that approach when it comes to work in the church. I remember one time we had this big youth event, and we were breaking down the chairs, and there was a, there was a, 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 a couple that just sort of standing watching everybody else work. And the youth director went up to the woman and said, can you help us put these chairs up? She goes, oh, that's not my spiritual gift. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. well, as long as you have a pious excuse to be lazy, that's fine. You know? It's not your spiritual gift to move chair. I don't remember that one in the list, right? There's just certain things that have to be done. You see a piece of trash, pick it up. You see people moving chairs, help them, right? 
And that's the kind of thing where you get your start to be the kind of person that the, their reputation for the gospel is known throughout all the churches, right? The church wouldn't exist without those basic faithful people. All right, now we see kind of the summary here, the summary response to the Christian integrity in verses 23 through 24. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for your brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of your reason for boasting about you. So Paul kind of sums up this whole uh, chapter right here. He talks about, you know, what an honor it would be to be considered a partner with the Apostle Paul. But you are when you, when you walk in obedience and you seek to be sanctified by the, the grace of God. He actually calls them apostles. That word in your text is probably messengers. But that's where we get our word apostles. These are not big A apostles like, you know, Matthew and, and, and John or, or Paul. They're little A apostles. They're messengers from God. But again, this is, I think, the third time in this text. He says, for the glory of Christ. So even something like taking up an offering, counting it properly, being accountable, giving, even just if it's $3, giving is for the glory of Christ. Man's chief end is seen in generosity. And that's really the reason why Paul is pressing this point. All right, Corinthians, you've said you want to repent. Show me evidence of that by giving outside of yourselves and being kind to others and helping the church is uh, in Jerusalem here. So effortly, he says here, therefore openly before the churches, we do not minister in a vacuum. What we do here in this church affects other Christians in this community, other churches within our denomination. And what this particular offer, offering is going to do, if they do it right, it will prove the validity of their faith in the Corinthians. The Corinthians said they want to repent, show us, uh, put your money where your mouth is in a sense. It will help the impoverished church from Jerusalem. It will show this miracle of the changed relationships. Jews and Greeks hate each other. You know, talking about racism, racism was standard operating procedure. Well, it is today, too, in many ways. But it was standard operating procedure back then. It was like you were encouraged to hate other races, other cultures. You looked down on them all the time, right? So here you've got these two different, totally different cultures, totally different backgrounds. Even They even look different. They dress different. They both come to Christianity, and bang, they're one family. Wow, what a testimony that is. It would demonstrate this miracle. They would declare the glory of God to the church and to the world, and they would help sanctify those who both receive the funds, but also those who are giving the funds and those who just heard about it. Wow, you mean those Greek churches collected all this money and gave it to the Jerusalem church? I guarantee the involvement in the Jerusalem church, the church membership in that church grew after them. He says here, to show the proof of your love, we have to prove love from time to time and the reason I'm boasting about you. So, so he's basically saying, don't disappoint us. Don't disappoint. In faith, I'm trusting that you're going to do the right thing here. Uh, don't disappoint us. Be, be wise here. Be charitable. Be giving here. Uh, we've entrusted this uh, plurality of men, these theologically sound people, to be able to, uh, to take that money so that we're removing that excuse we're removing that as an excuse to not be charitable here. And he closes, our reason for boasting about you. Uh, he, he, is, he is using this as an example to boast about the Corinthian church, which has caused him trouble from the beginning. But Paul, is, he's not naive. He's just such an optimist. And he's seen the power of God to transform even he, a terrorist who killed Christians, 
to become the chief apostle to the Gentiles, he also knows the same thing can happen to that selfish, immoral Corinthian church if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. I love how he says, our reason for boasting about you. And I think in many ways God could say that about you as well. Uh, and my challenge to you would be this, is as you are generous with your own money, that you would also be careful with other people's money and that you prove yourself trustful and faithful in the little things that God would put you in charge of the larger things as well. Father, we do thank you for this example of these three godly men and, of course, of the Apostle Paul as well. It is our desire to, to please you, and yet we know we fail. Uh, but we thank you, God, that, uh, that you've entrusted us with this church, even. You've entrusted us with families. You've entrusted us with school. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't limit the trust that you've given us just to finances, but to everything. Let us, be, let us study hard. Let us work hard. Uh, let us uh, be faithful with the upkeep of our homes. Whatever it might be, whatever might cause someone to stumble and question the power of God in our lives, let us do away with those things, um, those low-level things that offend the honor of others. We pray blessings upon us as a congregation, Lord, that we would be known as a congregation of people who are faithful with little things and also with much. In Christ's name, amen. Please rise, let us sing to the glory of God, hymn number 347, The Church's One Foundation.
please stay for the fellowship meal. The menu is breakfast for lunch. Who doesn't love breakfast for lunch, right? So stick around for the, for the meal. It's going to take us a little bit of time to, to get that uh, all set up. Uh, but until we meet again, please receive the benediction and the good word of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.